The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Um, we're going to have Amy come and read the scripture for us today. If you have a Bible or, or a Bible app, this is ready to go. Then uh, open up to Philippians chapter 3. There are Bibles in the back if you need one. Philippians 3, uh, 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now told, tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word today. And Heavenly Father, the entrance of your word brings light. And there is darkness in our souls. Darkness as a result of the world that we live in and the things that we're constantly exposed to, the light of the gospel, the light of the glory of God fills us and encourages us and inspires us, but it doesn't seem to last long enough. And the, the darkness of these days then encroaches again. So today, we pray that your word would bring light to us, to enlighten us, to inspire us, and to help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I wanted to speak to you today about the concept of the citizenship in heaven, our citizenship in heaven, our affiliation in a a place different from the place where we live. We live here, but we belong in heaven. We want to talk about that a little bit. It's in that passage that Amy read this morning in Philippians 3. It's verse 20, in particular, that I'm especially interested in. I'm not really planning on doing an expository sermon from Philippians chapter 3 in, in that passage that we, she read, but rather a textual sermon really focusing in on verse 20 and thinking about what is citizenship in heaven. And I want to use actually an Old Testament story to go along with this to illustrate it. And so if you have an extra finger, maybe you can open your Bible to Daniel chapter 6 and stick your finger in Daniel chapter 6, and hopefully that, that will help us uh, to get an idea. I want to flesh out something which is given to us in the New Testament in conceptual form, citizenship in heaven, but I want to put skin on it. I want you to see what it looks like. I want you to understand what it would be to be the experience of somebody who lives in a place where he is not a citizen, and to realize that you and I are kind of in the same situation. We are citizens of heaven, but we live here. The phrase that I want to specifically identify with this or connect with this 
is a phrase from Daniel chapter 6, and the phrase is exiles from Judah. So let me give you the story a little bit. One of the most famous Bible stories is Daniel and the lion's den. And it's a great story. I'm going to refer to it several times today. In the story, as you know, the king makes this ridiculous decree that nobody can pray except to him alone. And you know that Daniel defies that decree. And when he does, then some of Daniel's enemies, who are advisors of the king, and they were the ones who got the king to do this in the first place, they come and they complain to the king about what Daniel is doing. And they, they introduce him by saying, he's one of the exiles from Judah. I remember that it seems to me that it was maybe last summer, maybe when we were in the park, if that was longer than last summer, Joshua and Tab were going through the book of Daniel. And one of you got to chapter 6. It was interesting to me that just as I was hearing the reading of the word, and as we got to that phrase, whoever was reading it that day, the exiles from Judah, man, just those three little words just became powerful to me. Exiles from Judah. What does that mean? And how does that apply to us? And that's what actually got me started thinking about this and to thinking about how it relates to uh, the New Testament concept of our citizenship in heaven. So this is what I would like to do with this today. I would like to spend some time talking about citizenship in heaven and saying predominantly that there are two things that should dominate our thinking. One is I feel like we must have allegiance to heaven above all or allegiance to the Lord God above all, allegiance to Jesus above all. Jesus alone can be Lord in my life and in your life if we are citizens in heaven. But I believe also that we need to take some time to say that we need allegiance to the mission of heaven, that there is a reason why, although we are citizens in heaven, we are living here at this particular time. There is something to do. There is a mission to be on. There is something to accomplish. And in all of this, it seems like that Daniel is a very good example of this, and that's why I want to go back to the story of Daniel today. So first of all, let's say that our allegiance to heaven is higher or should be higher than our allegiance to anything else, our commitment to that which is beyond us has to be the first commitment in my life. And in your life, it shouldn't be second or third or farther down the list, but there ought to be some sense of devotion to the Lord Jesus as Lord and Him as number one in our lives. And this comes up actually in the story about Daniel. So if you have your finger in Daniel chapter 6, uh, scan it, or just remember the Sunday school story because we've heard this so many times. One of the most interesting parts about the story, and I suppose I'd say it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Well, it's one of everybody's favorite stories in the Bible, I guess. One of the really interesting parts about that is that Daniel hears about this decree. He is alarmed by this decree. Of course he would be. This pompous king, Darius is his name, it's in the kingdom of Babylon. This pompous king says, nobody is allowed to pray to any god except the king 
Darius. And so Daniel is obviously disturbed about this. And so what does he do? He prays about it, of course. It's kind of ironic. I think we're supposed to see the irony of it. Oh my goodness, you mean to tell me there's a new rule that we can't pray to anyone except the king himself? Oh my goodness, I've got to go pray about this. And so three times a day, he's upstairs. He opens his room. Uh, he, he opens the windows in his room toward Jerusalem. And he continues to pray. Now, it seems to me that as citizens of heaven, if our allegiance is where it is, it is supposed to be, that we have to decide how do we fit into then the kingdoms of this earth. Since we are living here, although we are citizens there, how do we fit in? What do we do? How, how are we supposed to manage all of this? And it seems to me that there are some extremes, and we want to avoid extremes at both ends. Because there are some people who perhaps say that their allegiance is to heaven, but is their allegiance really to heaven? I remember visiting Ethiopia one time with a, a good friend of mine who's Ethiopian. And I was kind of impressed. Everywhere we went, I saw people wearing crosses. I thought, my, this, my goodness, this must be the most Christian nation uh, in the world. And he said, oh, they just wear the cross because they like the decoration. Uh, actually, they don't believe in the Lord. And so they, they, have, they have allegiance to the things of this earth. And people in our country are the same way. Uh, perhaps the wearing of a cross means something different there than it means here. Perhaps you're wearing crosses this morning, and I'm, I'm glad that you are. But isn't it true that there are some people who go to church or claim to be Christians, but really whose allegiances lie elsewhere? Heaven is in there somewhere as a commitment or as a focus for allegiance, but maybe it's not number one. Maybe it's down the list somewhere. Maybe people are more committed to political things, political parties. Maybe people are more committed to sports, or maybe people are more committed to their jobs. And I'm saying that what really is important as citizens of heaven is that we have the right attitude about how to live here on earth. That is one extreme. At the other end of the ex uh, that spectrum, if some people are, are disrespectful or if some people are committed elsewhere to this world and not really committed to heaven as they should be, at the other end of the spectrum, there could be what you would call disrespect. That is, there are some people who just haven't got time for the things of this earth because they just consider everything petty. And sometimes they can be even downright mean about it. And I'm saying that I do not believe that either extreme is the correct posture. But there is a correct posture in the middle. And I believe that Daniel fleshes out for us what that correct posture is. And so what do we find in the story? Well, once again, let's go back to thinking through how the story develops. A ridiculous decree is made. Everybody's supposed to pray only to God. Daniel is praying anyway. The advisors of the king who don't like Daniel see that he's doing that. They knew he was going to get tripped up on that. In fact, that's why they wanted the decree. And so quickly they go rushing to, into Darius and they report to Darius how this decree of his is being disobeyed by one of the exiles from Judah. 
And how does the, the king respond to that? It's very interesting. He does not respond as we might expect. It's not like the queen of hearts off with their heads, right? That's what you would kind of expect. He's the most powerful person in the world. Babylon is the most powerful kingdom in the world. He can make any rule he wants to. If one of the exiles from Judah is disobeying his rule, he should be terribly, terribly upset about it. But oddly enough, he is not. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed in his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. There was um, the law of the Medes and Persians in those days that if a rule was enacted, it couldn't be reversed. I don't know why. Seems like the king would have power to do everything, but that's the way they, they, they floated. And so they made this rule, and not even the king could change it. But what does it say? He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And even all night long, he was worried about Daniel. Why? And to put it simply, it's because Daniel was not an insurgent whom the king despised. Rather, he liked him. And he was, no, he was bothered no end by the fact that this ridiculous rule that he had made was going to affect Daniel. He liked Daniel. He depended upon Daniel. Daniel was an important part of that kingdom. Even though where was Daniel's allegiance? Daniel's allegiance was in heaven for sure. Absolutely. But the king liked Daniel. He depended upon him. Maybe he even loved Daniel in a certain way. Now, Daniel was not a young man when we come to Daniel chapter 6 any longer. He had actually gone through a couple of kingdoms or kingships before then. And so he had been around for a while. Sometimes in the Sunday school pictures, he's depicted as a young man in the lion's den, probably wasn't any longer young. There had been a predecessor of Darius in that kingdom, and Daniel had served that predecessor as well. And this is an example about how Daniel behaved in a kingdom which was not his own. The predecessor had this terrible dream and it was so upsetting to him, he got all of the advisors of the land to get together and say, tell me the meaning of my dream. But nobody could. And so Daniel comes along because he has a vision from God and God gives him the interpretation of the dream. So Daniel goes to that king to give him the interpretation of the dream. Now, the interpretation was not in any way flattering towards that king. Not in any way. If you think through the interpretation of that dream, and I won't go into the details of that story, basically it was going to show that that king, that pompous king, this was a predecessor of the pompous king Darius, a predecessor of him, also a pompous king, was going to be cut down to size. And oh, you might think that, Dar that Daniel would think, oh, yes, oh, king, I'll give you an interpretation for this dream. Oh, I can't wait to give you an interpretation for this dream. And he doesn't go in there with that kind of attitude. Not at all. In fact, 
In that case, when Daniel goes and talks to the king to give the interpretation, he says, O king, if only the interpretation were for your enemies. Mm, Who would have been the enemies of the Babylonians? Wouldn't it have been the people from Judah? Wouldn't it have been Daniel's own people? But he says, oh, king, oh, king, if only this interpretation were for your enemies. What is the proper position to have as citizens of heaven but living here on earth? I want to give it to you in a word. I think the word is respect. I think the point is that we have to see that because God is sovereign over everything, that God puts us in the position where we are so that we would be respectful of those that we are working with. Our citizenship is in heaven. We have respect for the leaders of the land. We have respect for this land. We have respect for our fellow Americans. So what I've said so far is that our allegiance, first of all, must be to heaven and to heaven first. Heaven can't be in second place. Heaven has to be in first place. Jesus is Lord. The highest one there can be is Lord. And uh, he is like the capstone, I suppose you could say, of a pyramid, the the block that's higher than anything else. Jesus has to occupy in that spot in my life and in your life. But second, I want to say that our allegiance to the mission of the Lord Jesus must be firmer than our allegiance to any other mission. I mean to emphasize that our citizenship is in heaven and that this has implications for our life on earth. I'm not suggesting that a person would be so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. And this is important because the mission of the Lord Jesus is an important mission. We even see it in Daniel chapter 6. I know Daniel comes in the Old Testament before Jesus. I know that. But Daniel is like a New Testament saint. He's one of a few people in the Old Testament that can be said about. But he's like a New Testament saint, and he's on this mission. And the mission that he is on is not actually identified by Daniel himself, but it's identified by this pompous king, Darius, who doesn't always choose his advisors well. Though I think he gets the act together at the end of the story. And so I'm not telling the whole story or going into detail about everything, but let's go back again to that story of Daniel. And what I'm thinking through now is this, what, what about this, this mission? Uh, Daniel is on a mission. How do I know that Daniel's on a mission? Or what is this mission all, all about? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm fishing for right now. And so we go back to that story about Daniel. Daniel spends a night in the lion's den, God shuts the mouths of the lions. And so he is not injured at all. Praise the Lord. He's protected. The next morning, Daniel hears a voice. And here's another fascinating uh, part about this story. Now, wait a minute. Darius makes this law. The law can't be broken. Somebody disobeyed the law. The penalty is you got to be thrown into a den of lions. That's it. You're dead. Daniel, I mean, excuse me, Darius spends the whole night worrying about him. He's done everything he can to change this. He can't change it. But isn't it odd that the next morning he goes over there to that 
den and calls Daniel? Isn't that odd to you? He must have known that somehow Daniel was protected in that den. And so Daniel, uh, whether, uh, what, I'm, what I'm thinking about is verse 20 of Daniel chapter 6, where the king asks Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, Darius, I assume, would have wanted the, the subjects of his kingdom to serve him continually. And he goes, you know what? You are a servant of the living God. You serve this living God continuously. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel, who is still respectful, says, O king, live forever. I don't think those would have been the first words that would have come out of my mouth. <laughs> Honestly, he didn't do anything wrong. Okay, he broke a law, but it was a ridiculous law. And he was thrown into the, to the lion's den. He spent the night not afraid of lions because apparently God just closed the mouths of the lions and they all fell asleep. And he hears this voice in the morning. There could have been a lot of despicable things that he would have said in response. But his words are, O king, live forever. And it turns out, of course, that it's the wicked advisors who end up as lion food. And the king pronounces a new decree, one which is many times more reasonable. And it is in the words of this decree that I see a statement of the mission that Daniel was on. I see it. I wonder if you see it. Let me see if you do. I'm thinking about Daniel chapter 6 and verses 26 and 27. Darius makes a new, new decree. I decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and then the, the king goes on to say, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. And I'm specifically interested in verse 27. Speaking about this living God, he says he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. I'm saying that as citizens of heaven, I'm saying that as exiles from Judah, we should maintain firm allegiance to the mission, thank you, of the Lord Jesus. Or to say it another way, a firm allegiance to the kingdom of God. And what do we know about this kingdom? We know that this king delivers and rescues and works signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. And that's saying a lot. Obviously, it's saying a lot. But even though God's dominion is firmed and fixed, Obviously, there remains deliverance and rescue work to be done. That's why I'm describing this way about this mission that I see that Daniel is on. And I believe it's a mission that you and I are called to. What I'm saying today is if we are citizens of heaven, we, are, we have our allegiance to the 
mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. To put it simply, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And I don't really mean that the way perhaps that it has been said in the past. If I have understood how it has been meant in the past, it has been meant before that, you know, God's just got a bucket full of blessings and he's going to pour them on you. My goodness, if, you, if you'll turn to Christ, if you'll open up your heart to the Lord, you'll realize what all these blessings are. There are blessings on earth and there are blessings in heaven. Man, you're going to do really well because God has a wonderful plan for your life. They don't always say about things like cancer and job loss and problems like that at, at that point. They just focus on the, on the positive stuff, all those blessings you're going to get. But I mean it in a slightly different way. I do think that we are blessed and blessed and blessed again. But when I say that God has a wonderful plan for your life, what I mean is I see that you were blessed to be a blessing. Those of us who are going through perspectives right now on Tuesday night picked up on that line from John Stott in one of his articles. Blessed to be a blessing. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17 where God is talking to Abraham and explaining that Abraham would be blessed and that all the nations of earth would be blessed through him. Blessed to be a blessing. So what is deliverance and rescue work that surrounds you? If you are blessed in order to be a blessing by participating in our Lord's mission of deliverance and rescue, what does that look like for you? And I suggest this simply this way, that we are the hands and the feet and the ears and the eyes and even the mouth of Jesus aren't we? We are the body of Christ. And in a body, you have hands and feet and eyes and ears and a mouth and other parts. And I believe that Jesus initiated this mission. And then by turning it over to the church, the church then fleshes out this mission on earth. What did Jesus do with his hands? Uh, he took just a couple of loaves of bread he broke that bread and he fed thousands. Now, some people stop short at that point and say, oh, we, you see, a preacher, you have to understand, that's why I'm not doing some of these things that you're talking about because actually I don't have the ability to multiply loaves and feed thousands of people with a loaf of bread. If I had that ability, I sure would do it. Some people would say, my goodness, if I could do that, I'd feed all the homeless every morning. Stop by the grocery store, get a loaf of bread. All the homeless would be fed every day. But don't you think it's sometimes an excuse that we make when we say that? Is it more an excuse than an explanation? Because if we have in our hands something that we can give, even if it has not been miraculously multiplied, isn't it still something that we can give? And isn't that something we should do with our hands? The feet of Jesus took him to some locations which were thought of as unclean. He looked at a crooked tax collector one day and said, I must go to your house. 
And it turns out that Jesus' feet took him into the houses of tax collectors and sinners, and he was criticized harshly for it. Are there places that our feet should take us where people are outcast? The ears of Jesus heard the sound of children calling to him from among the crowds. Children were of little or no importance in the first century. They were thought of as merely potential humans because so many of them died in childhood. Why bother with children? Even the disciples didn't like the idea of Jesus bothering with children. But Jesus did bother with children. You know what he did? He called those children around him and he blessed them. On these days, I suppose more than any other time in history, most children are protected, guided, encouraged, coached, except sadly for the unborn. But most children are guided and coached in ways perhaps more than they ever have been. But aren't children neglected in one profoundly powerful way? Aren't children neglected spiritually? They are. And shouldn't we hear their small voices and gather them to ourselves and bless them? The eyes of Jesus. The eyes of Jesus could look upon a multitude of Samaritans and see them as a harvest field. When Jesus stopped and asked for that cup of water from the woman in Samaria, the woman at the well, and she gave him the water. After he blessed her, she went back and told the people in her town. And then they started coming out to Jesus. Jesus saw them coming. The disciples were there, and he said, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They are white unto harvest. But the disciples lifted up their eyes, and all they saw were a bunch of dirty Samaritans. Are we able to see men and women as souls for whom Christ died? That's what I mean by being the eyes of Jesus. And the mouth of Jesus spoke the very words of God. Now, can we be the mouth of Jesus? And I realize that this is a risky thing because we can easily become cocky and begin thinking that our words are really the Lord's words. And many people have fallen off the boat that way. But still, shouldn't we be speaking? Shouldn't we be able to ask questions such as what the Lord Jesus asked? And so, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Who will be the hands of Jesus? Who will be the feet of Jesus? Who will be the ears of Jesus? Who will be the eyes of Jesus? And who will be the mouth of Jesus? This is all part of the ongoing deliverance and rescue work which is being done by the King of Kings through us as subjects of his kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. We are subjects of the King of Kings. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are exiles from Judah. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you have put us on earth for a reason. We notice that when a person confesses that Jesus is Lord, they're not instantly plucked from the earth and put into heaven to populate heaven, but are left here. Why? We are left here to carry on the mission of the Lord Jesus. And so we pray as you have made us to be emissaries or even missionaries right where we are. We pray that you would inspire us, you would empower us, you would lead us, and you would help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.